Good evening, everyone. This is Jessica Hanna. And I'm Adrian Hanna. And tonight, we're going to talk about not murder. Oh, okay. This is going to be new Well, that's not entirely true. There is a murder, but it's not really a murder. It's kind of a weird situation. But this is like a feel, this is a, as feel good as, as our show will get tonight, because oh, oh. it's it's a pretty cool topic. And uh, Adrian, I think you're going to be pumped about this, about the subject tonight. And we're gonna have a good time doing it and all of our listeners will probably be like yes woohoo when they see who this is about because all right. well i can't wait all right so tonight we're going to talk about um a woman and we, we like her we, i'm just okay. letting you know that ahead of time we like her her name is susan and she is her full name is susan collins okay and susan is a pretty neat lady susan collins is well, that's her, her maiden name is Susan Collins. So if you don't know her by Susan Collins, you might know her eventually. Or you may not know her, listeners. And if you don't know her, that's an even bigger treat for you. because You're in for a treat just like me. You are. Because she's freaking awesome. And so so Susan was born somewhere in 54, 1954, 1955. Um, I couldn't find a birth date for her. Um, she was born to an Air Force cook and a homemaker. Uh, her parents divorced when she was in about second grade. And she has said in, in interviews that she didn't have a very good example for good relationships growing up. So she and her brother were moved back and forth between their parents from between a multitude of states. Her, because her dad was in the Air Force, sure. I, I assume that she they were moving all the time. So And then extra moving around because of going because to see going mom. Because they're going back to me to see mom. So, so they had plenty of friends, plenty of homes. And to, to, so to say that her childhood was a, was a bit hectic is kind of an understatement. Um, despite this, however, um, or maybe even because of it, in the early 1980s, Susan settles in Portland, Oregon. Okay. She never moves from there. I'm pretty certain she still lives there. Um, and she, she became... She, she's still keeping it weird? She, she's still keeping it weird. And uh, she became a licensed practical nurse and then eventually became a registered nurse. Okay. So right away, we know that she's got a good heart because she's a, a nurse. We like, we like nurses here at Into the Basement. Eventually, she settled into a position as an ER nurse. Okay. So not only is she is she a nurse, but she's a high stress nurse. Mm-hmm. So she's this lady is equipped to deal with crap because I can't imagine that working in the ER is easy. Right. Um. So Susan, because maybe because she had kind of crappy situation when she was a kid with her parents, doesn't really have a lot of boyfriends. She doesn't get married very early. She's kind of she just kind of she hangs out with her friends more than anything, um, but she's a kind. But all of her friends call say she's kind. She's very reasonable. I mean that comes from being a nurse. I think she's tough and she's very boisterous. Like she's got this guttural laugh and she just finds humor and positivity and everything. Um, and she was just generally a happy person. She enjoyed going out to comedy clubs. She enjoyed hanging out with her girlfriends. But around 1988, she's about. 32 33 years old she's still single she she's got she doesn't have a husband she's barely dated and she's kind of sick of it so she was interested in finding a man so her mother and her and one of her friends offered to pay for a singles ad in the local newspaper and i need to read you this singles ad because it's my favorite singles ad ever and i feel like if i was a man in 1988 i would absolutely go for susan because she's this for, makes her sound fun. For, for those of you who are too young to know what singles ads are, singles ads are things that you put in the newspaper that are kind of like your Tinder profile of, you know, the 1980s. Yeah, except that you told, you said what you wanted exactly. You didn't and, just go, hey, this is me. And for those of you that are that are uh, younger, a newspaper is basically the internet, but printed out. <laughs> They're com- it's coming back, the printed word. People really dig it again, which I like as a writer. But anyway, so... This is the ad. So, someone different. Single white female, 33, overweight but not over life, seeks single male who wants more out of a relationship than just slender, in quotes. Active healthcare professional, enjoys exploring the Northwest, interested in conversation, good times with someone who is intelligent, thoughtful, and full of humor. Must be emotionally fis- and fiscally mature. If you are seeking a bright, funny lady who is adventurous enough to advertise then please reply did she write that uh the copy or did her dad 
Well, her mom is the one who oh. paid for it, but she wrote the copy. Okay. Isn't that great, though? Overweight yeah. but not over life. That's yeah. my favorite thing anyone's ever written I mean, anywhere. If she wrote it, then yeah, that's pretty great. But if her mom wrote it, that's just mean. <laughs> no, she wrote it. I think it's I think it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, she's like, yeah, I'm fat. Fuck off. Right. What do you do? You want something? Do you want somebody interesting, or do you want somebody slender? Mm. I think that that's the whole point of her of her thing is like, take me on, baby. Mm-hmm. So one of the responses to her ad was a Vietnam vet named Michael Kuhnhausen. He responded with, it wasn't nearly as clever, but, you know, it was nice. So, hi, different. My name is Mike. I'm a 39-year-old divorced white male. I have a hard time distinguishing what these, like, initials mean. So, it says D-W-M. Gotcha. And I was like, what does D-W-M mean? Like, divorced white male. It's all all that... uh, um all the lingo from the uh, from the uh, singles ads from like back in the day. I feel like they still have a. I feel like they still do that. Like on Craigslist, they still did. Or I don't think they do personal ads anymore. But they when they did, it was still you know male seeking, male seeking, male seeking female that kind of thing. MS Hyrule MS M MSF FM FSMFSF. I don't know. I don't know. I've never had to use it. You. We've been together for seven hundred years, so. I don't have to use those things. So anyway, he says, I'm a 39-year-old divorced white male. I enjoy most things in nature, from wandering in the ape caves at Mount St. Helens to walking in the, at in the beach at sunset. Sounds pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So uh, Mike, well, t- I'll tell you a little bit about him, was born in 1948 and adopted by a couple in their 30s. He grew up in Portland and had apparently a very normal childhood. Uh, he was married before we've already established that. And he had a couple of kids. I couldn't find anywhere where it said how many kids he had, but I think it's two. Um, and he was also a Vietnam vet, which I've already said. And, but that wasn't that uncommon in the 1980s. Right. Like there was a ton of men who had been drafted or mm-hmm. volunteered or whatever. Um, but anyway, so he was a Vietnam vet. Susan found Michael to be kind and thoughtful. Um, a little ragged, but as Susan said, Susan is awesome, by the way. She has got quotes for everything. She said she thought she got a great deal on a used car <laughs> about this guy. So. This chick sounds awesome. <laughs> he was soft-spoken, polite, and he laughed very easily. But low, he wasn't... low mileage. Huh? Low mileage. Low mileage. <laughs> low mileage. Not too expensive, you know. A little bump, a little roughed up, but, you know, nothing you can't, you know, buff out real nicely, you know. So... But he wasn't pushy at all either. Like he, they spoke on the phone for what Susan estimates. I mean, I saw, I saw interviews with her where she estimated they spoke on the phone for about 150 hours before they ever met in person. And that's unreal. I mean, nowadays, maybe that's normal when you meet somebody on the internet or something, but I don't know that it was in the 1980s. I don't, I don't think 100 out, 150 hours is that normal to be, get, to be no, honest. No, I think, I think things, it, things. I think things move a lot faster now than they did back then. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. But well, they have to. I mean, you had the the uh, Craigslist killer who was just running around murdering people that you met through personal ads on Craigslist, and he's probably not gonna. He probably wasn't gonna invest 150 hours no. on the phone just to go murder somebody. No. But anyway, so they spoke for a long time before they ever met. And she said she liked his voice. She said he had a nice voice. And she was impressed that he wanted to talk about deeper stuff. He didn't want to talk about, I don't know, the weather. He wanted to talk about the serious stuff. And she liked that. So um, that was in January 1988 that they started talking. And they had their first date in February um, where they met at like a rhododendron garden. And they fed ducks and he tossed peanuts to squirrels. Nice. So it was like a chit chat date it wasn't even like a he didn't like take her to dinner and she didn't have to get fancy he didn't have to get fancy this man is not fancy by the way he is anything but okay but and that goes with what i'm gonna say next so susan wasn't she wasn't she didn't go into this with her eyes closed she clearly had an idea that she didn't want to meet him until she knew for sure right that he was not gonna like kill her or be a creep or be a creep so she spoke to him on the phone for at least 150 hours or approximately 150 hours she realized he wasn't perfect and she was fine with that he was a vietnam vet a little rough around the edges he looked like a biker he he'd been married before but to her he was fun he was interesting and she thought he was a good man so they dated for essentially the rest of 1988 and they were married uh, in reno on december 10th of that year 
which is, I think, pretty a decent amount of time. Mm-hmm. It's not, I mean, like, the way that it's sometimes portrayed in the media, this couple, is that they were married almost immediately. But that's pretty much a whole year of dating mm-hmm. before they got married. And I I personally, I don't, I, th- I think when you know, you know. And if you've decided to get married at, at a year, that's fine. If you decide to get married at three months, that's fine. If you've decided to get married for at 12 years, that's fine. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. But I think it's it's interesting to, that people always, bring, they always say months. They dated for months. Well, yeah, they dated for nine to ten months. Right. They didn't, like, just meet. And get my parents got married after three months of dating. So I, and their marriage lasted 20 years. So. Right. It doesn't mean anything. I, I had a school aide who was engaged to another guy and met her current husband and got and married him after like a week. And they were still married when I was in high school. And yeah. it was like 30 years. Yeah. Weeks so, is fast. Months is not. No. So anyway, so. Uh, but Susan told interviewers that she thought anyone who would get married at all was really brave. But and anyone who would marry twice was doubly so. So I, I, she just has a really great attitude about everything. So mm-hmm. this is, she's straight straight out the straight out the gate. This is a woman who is easy, easy to get along with, easy to have a conversation with. Sees the positive side in everything. Right, marrying a guy who's had a little rough, but and clearly digs her. And clearly digs her. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but earlier in their marriage, so early in their marriage, things were really good. Right. They would go out on adventures. They would travel. They would drive throughout the Northwest and the coast and stuff. They would go to the beach. They would they would do all these crazy. They would do the, not crazy things, but normal things. So they they go. They enjoyed being outdoors. They butter. They they looked for butterflies. They went birding, which I'm not entirely a fan of, but some people are. Mm-hmm. They hiked. I mean, like she probably loved this. This is what she was looking for. Right. And so not only that, they're doing great. They're going on adventures, and then he gets a job as a janitorial supervisor for a place called Oregon Entertainment, and it's actually a parent company of an adult entertainment chain in Portland. Okay. And I don't – people brought it up like it mattered. I don't think it matters. She she even said – she said it was a good job. They had benefits. They paid him a good wage. Yeah, and man, job's a job. Exactly. And he was doing janitorial service. It wasn't like he was selling dildos. You know, he was, he was just, just cleaning them. He was just cleaning, <laughs> cleaning the floors around the dildos. So, um, unfortunately, after a few years, you know how people kind of get into kind of a, I don't know. A rut? A, a rut. Let's say a rut. Okay. But more of like a... You just routine? Kind of, a routine. You get into a routine and, and the adventures began to stop and Mike started to shot, kind of show... That he well, he stopped being really interested in doing any of the things I used to do. He became a bit more guarded, and Susan thought that maybe he was starting to become afraid of being hurt again. Because apparently he had had a pretty rough first marriage, and she was Makes sense. and he so he was quite worried, and he had anxiety, and he was protective, and, and he had abandonment issues, and there were some things there that she thought she could see where they would come from. But he also started to show another side of himself that was that he was just very unhappy. Okay. He was the kind of person who was angry at the world, unhappy at the world, and it wasn't about him. Gotcha. It was about you. You are the reason I'm unhappy. Mm. The rest of the world is the reason I'm unhappy. Gotcha. The world is against me. But she, and she being a nurse, recognized that maybe he could use some help but he he told her he had no or he basically was like no i have no plans to fix this so being that she had a positive attitude she thought maybe one of the reasons for this was vietnam makes sense i mean it's it's definitely one of those situations where um vietnam was a really tough time the guys who came back there was a lot of messed up yeah there was a lot of drug use over there and a lot of fucked up shit happened over there. So mm-hmm. if you combine the two, even some guys who didn't necessarily see a ton of action probably came back a little fucked up. Mm-hmm. But well, I mean, it also didn't help that when they got back, like they a lot were of treated, them were getting treated pretty poorly. Yeah. So even if you were fine when you came back, maybe 
you got a chip on your shoulder because you were treated like you were a baby killer. Because that's the kind of shit people used to say to these guys. Mm-hmm. There's a reason we have a support the troops thing. It's because we don't want to blame the kid, the kids, because they're kids, mm-hmm. going over there and doing wars for the United States for shit that they've been ordered to do. Right. And it was a huge problem in this in the late 60s, early 70s. People treated the Vietnam vets very badly. I mean, they still do. There's not a whole lot of support for them in a lot of ways. But anyway, so Mike claimed to have gone. He's he controlled to be. He claimed to have been a patrolman. Okay. So they would go on these long patrols. Um, but he didn't really talk about the war very much. And I I can't. I mean, that's really what you get. You get some guys talk about it all the time, and some guys don't. And mm-hmm. he was one who didn't really talk about it. But she said, which that, means he probably saw some shit. Well, yeah. But Susan said that one. One time he did tell her that there was, they had a patrol into a village and they were supposed to kill some Viet Cong, but there were children there and she didn't, she didn't expound, but I can imagine that some children were killed and it Mm. wasn't very pleasant. And now in the logs, in the Vietnam logs, or, you know, I don't know what they would call it, were your assignments. Like your records? Like your work assignments and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It says that he was a switchboard operator. So... It is also possible that he didn't see anything. Right. But I don't want to... There's no proof that he didn't. No one said for sure that he didn't. This was just something that was mentioned in an article that I read. Mm -hmm. But that was the only time it was mentioned is that one article. And I was like, it doesn't seem like... If you're that angry and that... And you bring up something like that, Mm -hmm. it seems like... I, I, I guess for me, I'm saying this is who knows what happened. Vietnam was so fucked that... If you, you can't just say, oh, he didn't see anything. Well, unless you know that he was in an office somewhere in like the U.S. Right. If he was in Vietnam at all, he saw something. That Possibly, he, that yeah. Was, probably. That was not great. But I digress. Did, did, do you know what branch of the military he was in? I do not. Okay. There's not, to be honest, there's not a lot of information about him. Okay. Um, I think because she's alive and... Uh, there haven't been a, she hasn't, she's been very reticent to do, to acquiesce to a book being written. Mm-hmm. I think we'd know more if there was a book written, but there has been no book written on this case. Okay. Um, well, I was just going to say, cause if he's like, if he was army or Marine Corps, you know, that means that he could have been a switchboard operator for like an infantry unit, yeah. which means he definitely could have been out doing some dumb well, that's what I was, that's also what I was thinking is that just jungle. because you're just because you're a switchboard operator doesn't mean that you've never that you haven't had to take a gun outside. Right. You know, like it's it's not like, oh, well, I just control the switchboard. Well, yeah, but if you're in a phone thing, you've got to protect it. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't just be like, well, well, in a switchboard operator, that means that you're you've got like this big hunky piece of crap that you got to carry around with you to wherever your your units uh, base of operations is and then you just set, plop it down on a table and then you start running wires everywhere in the middle of wherever you're at yeah so and then you yeah. also have to protect it yeah. so nobody can get to it yep so it's there's not there's there it's not the same thing as being like oh well he was a you know a chaplain in like french occupied whatever city viet in vietnam right it's a freaking I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I, I'm don't I'm sorry. I don't mean to say that chaplains don't get any action, don't get any war action. I'm just saying that well, they're not supposed to, but they're not supposed to. Right. That's my point. OK, so anyway, so no matter how many things Susan suggested, getting back to the case, no matter how many things Susan suggested to Mike, he refused. So she said she she suggested, hey, maybe you should go to the VA, get some help. Maybe you should go to a psychiatrist get some help he said nope it's not a, they can't help me i'm sure he tried in the past to get some help from the va and they just were like they were terrible right or maybe he was just he didn't trust doctors or whatever but he just straight up was like i don't need any help the world needs to change i don't need to change which is of course the worst attitude you can have right because you can't control the world you can only control yourself so but then he also, in addition to this, he also began to question every purchase that Susan made. Now, Susan, being an ERRN, is the breadwinner of their household. Um, but he would get annoyed if she went to the movies. 
um, with her friends. First of all, because she was spending time with other people. And mm-hmm. second of all, because he could not handle that she could possibly waste money on such a silly expense. Plus, he really wanted to see that movie, too. Well, I'm sure she invited him, but he just said no. This right. is, he was just one of those guys who was he isolated himself from people. He was pissed off about everything she did. Um, but according to Susan, they could afford... They were in no financial trouble. Sure. There was, it wasn't a situation where they had to pinch pennies or watch their dollars. Mm-hmm. It was a situation where they had a good nest egg. They were set. I mean, they both had benefits. They both had bonuses. They both had things that were working in their favor. They were comfortable. They mm-hmm. had, their house was, was quite nice in a good neighborhood. It wasn't, they weren't in a place where there was a need for there to be this worry. Um, but he was obsessed with watching every penny that she spent, which is, again, this is the kind of thing, if, if, if your partner is doing this, this is abuse. Mm-hmm. If you don't know that, that this is abuse, that this is abuse. If, if you can't go to the movies. In, in this scenario. In this scenario. Like, like it, it's, yes. it's a completely different thing if you, you're like, you know, make, both making minimum wage and barely making ends meet. And one of you is like, hey, don't go to the movies. That's $18 that we could have spent on, on bills. On bills. Yeah. You know, that's completely different. And also, if you're having a conversation about it, that's one thing. But if one of you is obsessed with it, mm-hmm. if, if it was to become an obsession, no matter what your pay, or no matter what you're making, it's not okay. Like, you need to have a better conversation about it than that. Unless one of you is on the other end spending like crazy, like an idiot, then that's also a concern. But you know what? We're not marriage counselors, so... And we're not financial advisors either. And we're either, not financial so. advisors, so do what you want. But if somebody is telling you you can't spend money and you can, when you can afford it, you may want to have a long conversation with them. Yeah. Um, so, now Susan, because she is kind of... I don't know if it's hindsight or just she doesn't... Or she just really isn't bitter at all. She thinks that the reason that he was so weird about her going and spending money is it because he felt insecure that she made more money than him and so she, and she said it in like a nice way she said well maybe he felt insecure mm-hmm. that i made more money than him and i'm just I'm like why are you so fucking nice because eventually you're going to understand why she shouldn't be so thoughtful and forgiving but in addition to that he treated her poorly doing things like purposely burping when she tried to kiss him gross weird She'd ask him to go to counseling, um, marriage counseling. He said he was sure that that's what put the nail in the coffin of his first marriage. Mm. So he didn't want to go to that. But she, but she was like, well, if we don't go to that, then I'm walking out the door. And he said, fine, I'll go. But she, it became quickly, it, it became clear to her very, quite quickly that it wasn't important to him, that she was the only one working on the marriage. Right. She was, it, no matter, that the only thing that, was, that mattered to him was... His obsession was sports memorabilia. Okay. So he was obsessed with it. He would search out top dollar, or not even top dollar. He would search out sports memorabilia that he thought would eventually become worth something. Mm. So he, I don't think, he didn't search out top I thought well, I, I thought was... he was searching out top dollar stuff. But he would just get, like if he thought a baseball player was good, he'd get their baseball card and he'd say, well, maybe someday it'll be, it'll be worth something. Right. Well, I was going to say, it's, you know, it's good to have a hobby, but like, it's not good to have a hobby where your hobby is essentially just making money. Like, you're not buying the stuff because you enjoy the the thing. You're not like, oh, I love sports and having this memorabilia reminds me of all this cool stuff. And I get, I, I get joy out of, out of have be surrounding myself with these things. Yeah. It's more of like a, Hey, I can get this thing and then maybe it'll be worth a little more money down the road and I can sell it and it'll be worth, you know, 10 times what I bought it for. And then I'll get a bunch of money and I don't care about sports at all. Well, that's exactly it. And But in addition to that, he would brag about these things he had, which confuse. He would brag about it to Susan's friends because he had very few friends. And then her friends would be confused about his obsession because he would get mad at Susan for going to the movies, but he could spend... $100 on a baseball card. Yeah, that may be only worth $10 or something. Right. So, but then, in addition to that, he also hoarded it in the basement. Okay, also weird. So this isn't a guy, it's exactly like what you said. He's not like proud. He's not like framing them. He's not like putting them in cool frames and like 
has a sports room where he's got sports memorabilia all over the place to like brag about how cool his shit is. Mm-hmm. He's literally putting it like like making like putting it in their basement and it's all growing dust or collecting dust. It's ridiculous. Um I don't know. I don't understand why you would do this. Yeah. But well, it's I mean, it's for the money. I mean, it's got to be that it's it, he's just doing it for the money so that he can like I said, yeah, it's it's he's deriving no joy he's whatsoever a, from from this. It's he just wants to make a quick buck by by flipping things that other people derive joy out of. It's such a weird like he is an interesting character, Mike, because he's the kind of person who I would never want to want in my life. Right. But he's also a person that everyone knows. Everyone knows somebody who hates the world. Oh, yeah. Who is mad at the world and blames the world for everything that goes wrong in their life. Even if you don't talk to them now, even if you haven't seen them in years, you know someone who's like this. You know that guy. Or that girl. Right. There's, there's people out there who are just like this. And they, they don't have – and they drain everyone around them. So – and this is why I brought up how easy Susan is. Because if you had someone like Susan in your life and you were a normal person – she would bring joy to your life. Mm-hmm. She's clearly so positive. She's clearly so happy with her husband that she wants, she only thinks of how he can be helped. She sees him being angry and frustrated and anxious and annoyed with the world. And she thinks you could get some help and you'd be feel better. And he says, no, I don't want any help. Right. And so this is, I mean, I don't want to degrade, and I wanted to say this, and I forgot, I kind of swung past the Vietnam stuff in a weird way. Vietnam vets, some of them are not getting the the sort of help that they need because they can't, they don't have access to it. Right. That's, well, I'm not talking about Vietnam, I'm not generalizing Vietnam vets, vets in this case. Vietnam vets who are willing to get the help or who just don't have the access to the help but want it are... 100% I'm 100% behind any vet who wants help and is going out there and getting it. Good for you. If you are somebody who's hurting and you think that therapy can't help you and you refuse to do it, first of all, I hope that you change your mind because therapy is so helpful, especially if you're anxious, especially if you're going through PTSD. It's been proven time and again that any sort of therapy will help you through this. But if you refuse and you think it's the fault of whoever you're going to talk to or your spouse or whoever, that your life is crap and you will not do anything to change that, fuck you. Right. You know, like, this is the, this is the kind of guy I just want to go fuck you to this guy because he doesn't have any compassion he for anyone but himself. And he doesn't even have compassion for himself because you're not that com- – you can't be this angry and have compassion for yourself. He hates himself. Mm-hmm. He hates everything in the world. He hates himself, but he puts it out on the rest of the world. Right. Get the help, man. Get the help. Quit putting it on someone else. This woman didn't do anything to you. I, I think she except marry you and love you. I think you're about 30 years too late for that advice for this guy. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> so anyway, so on top of the fact that he is a dick to her, that he won't let, that he, well, he will let her, but he bitches every time she goes out and has a nice time and has, goes to the movies or goes to drinks with her friends. He bitches about the fact that she won't that she makes him go to the counseling she and she on top of that he wants to buy all this crap for himself and fuck her susan finds out that over the years mike has been lying about his yearly bonus so every year she thought he was receiving about a thousand dollars okay in a yearly bonus it turned out he was receiving four to five thousand dollars a year bonus. so he's not only telling her she can't spend money he's hiding money from her yeah, that doesn't sound like a very good relationship. No, that's exactly it. Like, this is a man who clearly, he didn't trust her. Right. And I don't, like, she does, she's a, I don't get it. She, unless she was like, unless she's a real good fucking actress, this woman is the nicest person who's ever fucking lived on the planet. And he's like, I don't trust that she's not going to steal my money. What the fuck, dude? She makes more money than you. She doesn't need your fucking money. Well, Maybe she could. She'd if she had you- that extra, you know, $44,000, she could go out and watch a bunch more movies with her friends. Why are you saying 44000 Because you, you said his annual bonus was 45000 Four to $5,000. Oh. Four to five thousand dollars. Okay. But that's still so that's quite a bit three of money. to four thousand dollars worth of movies that she could go out and and 
waste their money on. Yeah. Instead, instead of thinking about the future and thinking, let's invest this in our retirement, he thinks, oh, I'll put it in a probably in the floorboards of the basement right. or in stuck in between the sports memorabilia that she doesn't give a fuck about. Right. So anyway, in September 2005, 17 years into their marriage, Susan says, holy crap, I cannot deal with your ass anymore. I don't want to fail at marriage. But for fuck's sake, dude, you aren't giving me anything here and you got to go. So she kicks him out of the house. Got to go. But she remains friendly with him. Okay. She she cares for this man. She's not, this isn't a, like I said, she cares about him. Right. She just doesn't want him to live in the house with her anymore. She's, he's too negative. He's let her down too many times. He's not interested in working on the relationship at all. Right. And she's done with this. So she's like, you're out. She did not, however, see any need to change their alarm code, which was 1210, which was their anniversary. Michael would still come over for parties. They still spent time together and they still spoke on the phone, which clearly was working. It worked 17 years ago. Might as well keep going. Right. The only thing she asked. Well, I mean, just... As an aside, I mean, why would you change the locks or the alarm code no, or anything? Not, because he's it's, not violent. Yeah, he's not, it's not. It's not like she doesn't trust that he's going to come over and like steal a bunch of crap. Exactly. You know? It's just they, her, their relationship essentially failed, and she was just like, "Well, you got to get out." Sorry, dude. And he probably was just like, "Oh, okay." I mean, I'm sure there was more to it yeah. than that, but I'm I'm boiling it down to its bare essentials. And so, why would you change? your alarm codes or your locks. Exactly. Again, this is not a violent man. Right. She didn't think that that anything was going to come of her change. If she didn't change the whole thing. It wasn't a bad ending. No, it doesn't sound like it anyway. But not to her, on her end of the stick. Right. But we don't know how he was feeling. We just know that he was an angry man to begin with. Right. So I'm sure he, so at this point, we assume he's angry, but we don't know how angry he is. Okay. So, the only thing she did ask was that he not come over when she wasn't there. Right. That makes sense. Which, and I, unless she had invited him. Okay. Unless yeah. she had said, hey, can you come over and watch the cats or something right. like that. So, because I think she felt like he was looking through her shit. Gotcha. When he would, if he came in on her when she wasn't there. Looking for those movie receipts. <laughs> you know, those dirty movie receipts. Mm-hmm. So now Susan didn't file for divorce right away. She didn't feel the need to file for divorce right away right maybe they could reconcile maybe or maybe she she didn't really want to fail at marriage and he had kind of asked her for a little more time to deal with you know maybe he could deal emotionally with what was going on mm-hmm. you know i i don't know if he put on a show of changing himself i don't know um but it was there was a party at her house i don't know if it was a party so much as a barbecue or just like had a few friends over but he was there she again we're right. They still had a positive relationship. She was still inviting him over. I think that she was trying to make this marriage work. Right. But they, she just didn't want him in the house. But she, or at least just trying to stay friendly. At with least them. just trying to try and stay friendly. Yeah. So she and her friends noticed that at this party, Mike was not only holding back from the conversation, which wasn't weird, wasn't weird, um, but that he was also looking at Susan in a way that it made everyone really nervous. And Susan realized then that he was getting angrier. Okay. And that she needed to, that it was time to file for divorce. Now, part of the reason that he may have looked angrier is that around this time, Mike lost his job. Okay. So everything in his life was sort of falling apart. His wife kicks him out. He's living with his father. He's, you know, in his late 50s. He's just feeling like a bit of a loser. And he's becoming more and more agitated. Sure. For a guy that blames the world for everything, when things start to fall apart, you get... Even more agitated. Yeah. So, obviously, he blamed Susan for his problems because Mm -hmm. it's all Susan's fault, right? Obviously. But I think what it was, was that once he lost Susan, he felt he'd lost control of her. And then he started obsessing about that, which made him lose focus on other things in his life. Okay. And then everything else started to fall totally apart okay one of mike's former employer employees at oregon entertainment was a man named ed haffey haffey was a 59 year old vietnam vet he wasn't a fully he wasn't a fully he was a haffey uh who was raised in an upper middle class home uh he was a solid man five foot nine and about 190 pounds 
Uh, as a young man, he was an avid tennis player, but as he got older, things began to unravel. In 1991, he'd paid a man to kill an ex-girlfriend. Wow. A woman okay. named Georgia Lee Dutton, who'd narked him out on some of the shady things he'd been doing. He'd been, like, robbing things and, like, probably doing drugs and what have you. His shady back alley uh, tennis matches. Tennis matches. No, he was, like, legit, like, a bad dude. Okay. But, so, unfortunately... He paid a guy. And I'm, the just, guy actually I'm just came, confused. What? Why? Why? Why was the fact that he used to play tennis involved, involved in, this? in this? I don't know. I don't know. He just. Oh, the, probably because that's the only thing anybody really knows about him. I think that's the only thing. That's the only thing anyone knows about him is that he was a criminal, but he used to play tennis when he was a kid. Like I don't know. It's like you know how people go. They go. They say things like. Well, it's like it's like the same thing like, oh, with he like. He was a good dude. He played tennis in high school. Well, it's like, like the same thing like with Mike. It's like he worked at a. He worked at a porn store. He worked. He was a janitor at a, at a porn store. Who who cares? Who cares what his job was? You know, it's just one of those things. Where, there's always something like this in in like everything that we ever talk about. There's always that one detail of somebody's life that's just there, and it makes no sense. Like, oh, this is so and so, the serial killer. He liked cherry lollipops. <laughs> so yeah. What does that have to do with anything? Yep. I, I agree with you. I I'm sorry that I brought up the avid tennis player, but I guess it's one of those things that you just want people to know that this guy wasn't always a fucking scumbag. He wasn't a one-dimensional criminal. I guess. He had some depth to him. I don't Anyway, so this scumbag actually got... This guy actually killed her. Okay. And she was... Her body was found near Oregon's Umpqua, Umpqua River. You're, Let us you're know. asking the wrong person. Let us know. So Happy would spend only only nine years in prison. For the hit, for constructing this hit. Okay. For, it was, he, I, I was, I'm sure he pled out. Sure. But he, he spent only nine years in prison for conspiracy to commit aggravated murder. Uh, now, we're talking 2005, 2006. Okay. So we're rolling through time. I mean, we're. We're, we're just blowing we're, through we're nap at time. Seven, we're at 17 to 18 years after they got married. So gotcha. they were married in 88. The incident happens in 2006. Okay. So he now lives in a trailer. Half he does or Half Mike? he does. And he has, he had an expensive, heavy drug habit, which had cost him his job under- At the porn store. Uh, at the porn store, where he wasn't even a supervisor. He was just a janitor. Gotcha. So despite this, despite having lost his job, Mike and him were quite friendly. They bonded over their past in the military, and they both kind of had that life sucks attitude. Gotcha. So- on Wednesday, September 6, 2006, Susan worked a regular shift at the ER. She was scheduled to attend a nursing conference over the next few days, so she called Mike and asked him if he could wa- come over and watch the cats. Gotcha. He sounded a little surprised to hear from her, but he said he couldn't do it because he was feeling stressed and he was at the beach for a few days. He told her that he, he also left a note at her house telling her that, and so they hung up. She said, I hope you're okay. He said, I'll see what happens when I go to the beach. I don't know. I'm kind of bummed. And she was like, well, let me know if there's anything I can do. So anyway, so on her way home, she stopped at the beauty salon for an appointment. And about an hour later, she headed home. When she got home around 6.20, 6.30, she let herself in the back door where she found the note that Mike had left in the mudroom. It said, Sue, haven't been sleeping, had to get away, went to the beach. And he signed it, love me. She made her way inside. She disarmed the security system and walked through to the front door to get the mail. As she came inside and headed to change out, as she came inside and headed into her bedroom to change out of her work clothes, she noticed that the bedroom was quite dark. Now, we don't do this because, and I don't know anyone else who does this. We don't open our our, our shades in the morning. Right. But apparently Sue does. Okay. So Sue would like open up her curtains each morning to let the sun in. But for some reason, her room was completely dark, and she thought, oh, maybe I forgot to op- to close the curtains up. Open the curtains up. Or to close the... Oh, yeah, open the curtains up this morning. Um, and then she... But she she thought... I mean, the alarm code was fine, mm-hmm. so there's no one in here. Right. Like, so she, she kind of half investigated, kind of half went, well, there's nothing really going on, <coughs> and walks into her bedroom... Where a man wearing yellow rubber gloves and a wielding a claw hammer springs out from behind the bedroom door. 
Well, that'll get your heart rate going. Fucking A. So in her capacity as an ER nurse, Susan had been in many dangerous situations over the years. I imagine, yeah. She had disarmed men. She had subdued and administered IVs to people who were hostile, freaking out and hostile. Um, she'd been trained in self-defense, including how to slip out of headlocks and clutches. In addition, her father had taught her how to fight. And he had said that crowding an assailant would lessen a blow. So crowding an assailant is going towards them. Right, right. Um, and that a hammer could be used in a fight and that the claw end would work best. So she's looking at the situation. And here's a guy coming at her with yellow rubber kitchen gloves on. He's got his hair in a ponytail and it's tucked up in a gray hat. She's never seen this man in her fucking life. And he's coming at her with a claw hammer. With a perfect backhand. <laughs> Gee, I wonder if Adrian knows who this is. Who this is. Um, well, I figure you just suddenly brought somebody up. It's kind of a, what is it, like a Chekhov's gun situation? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so when the man in the rubber gloves come at, came at her, that's what she did. She crowded him. And while he got a blow into her left temple... It did not distract her from her mission. And her mission was to survive. Right. Okay. So Susan was a heavy woman. Quite heavy. I mean, we were overweight, but not over life. Overweight, but not over life. That's right. She had bad knees because she was a fucking nurse and also she was heavy. And she only stood about five foot four, which is my height, which you know is very short. Mm -hmm. So she was at least five inches shorter than her attacker. Still, she used her body because this is a a very smart woman. She knows how to react in in a... panic situation so she uses her body and tries to push him over and she and so she but she doesn't push him over but she slams him into the wall of her bedroom as they struggle the man says one thing to her he says you're strong (laughs) and she she saw though that when he said this he wasn't scared right he was just surprised right but i mean i'm sure he wasn't warned hey she's fucking tough right so she began to realize something else this guy was not a robber that he was clearly there to kill her. And it didn't just scare her. This fucking pissed her off. Mm-hmm. She was angry. You're going to come to my house and try, try to fucking kill me? I don't think so. So the adrenaline starts surging through her. And she asks him, who sent you? Who the fuck sent you? Right. right? So as she wrestled the ha- and then she wrestled the hammer from his grip. Because this woman is fucking awesome. And she swings and she hits him three or four times in the head. With the claw end? With the claw end. Yes. Fucking claw end, man. Um. Unfortunately, he was able to get the hammer back. So in response to him getting the hammer back, she grabs his throat and starts squeezing it. Nice. And she says, you are not going to kill me in my home. Fucking love this lady. So then as his face begins to turn blue, she thinking that he, because she's fucking strangling him, thinking that he'll give up, she lets go or she loosens up. Right. But he didn't give up. Well, well, she let go and she kind of ran. She was like, ah, but right. he didn't give up. He came at her and caught her in the hallway and started punching her in the head until she fled to the f- fell, fled to the floor, fell to the floor. He then he stood over her with a hammer, getting ready to fucking hit her again. And she was like, I'm gonna die. This guy's gonna fucking kill me, right? Mm-hmm. And she, but instead of allowing herself to give in to this, her response was to fucking get him, to like I don't know what she did, but somehow she got him on the floor. So she knocked him over and got him on the floor, and she was determined to get the hammer back. She was fight. They're beating the shit out of each other on the fucking floor. She began biting him. She bit him on his back. She bit him on his arm. She bit him on his thigh. She bit him on his flank, and then she even bit him on his fucking dick. This chick is hardcore. Hoping he would either one of two things would happen: that he would let go of the hammer, or that she did enough damage to him that if he did kill her, she would leave a mark, which right. is exactly what you should do. Right. First of all, fight your ass off. And second of all, do everything you can to get yourself on their body. Do whatever you can to get yourself on their body. DNA all over the place. That's right. So as she bit him, she was feeling his pockets. This woman is fucking, her mind works so differently than anyone else's I've ever heard of in one of these situations. She's feeling his pockets, trying to find ID or something to pull out and throw somewhere in the house to get it under a couch, get it under a bed, get it under somewhere so that... If they find her in the morning, dead on the fucking ground. There's a, a driver's license hidden under the bed. Yes. Yeah. She's fucking brilliant. She's sharp as a tack. So at this point, they're wrestling on the floor. And this is Susan. Susan is, I love her. And she says this in every interview. She became the weapon. 
So she pushed him flat to the ground using her left leg. She threw her leg over the body, over his body, climbed on top of him and hooked her left arm around his neck. So she's on, he's on, she's on his back. She hooks her arm, puts him in a headlock Mm -hmm. and she starts squeezing and she screamed, she screamed this at him. Tell me who sent you here and I'll call you a fucking ambulance. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So she wanted him to be afraid, but he didn't say anything. He grunted and he tried to throw her off his back. So she leans forward and she tightens her. So she leans forward because he's trying to throw her off her back. But and she she thinks to herself, if he throws me off his back, I'm dead. This is it. I I don't have. This is my last ditch effort. Right. So she leans forward and she tightens that arm. She's trying to put him in a sleeper. Mm-hmm. And she, she so she she tightens her forearm against his throat and doesn't stop until he's stopped moving. Till he's still, she says in all in all rumors. Until he was still, she then grabbed the hammer and ran the fuck out of the house and went to the neighbor's house and said, "Call nine one one. I think I may have just killed a man. He needs an ambulance." <laughs> so basically, she calls, goes to the neighbor. She says, "Holy fuck, I've been attacked. Holy fuck, I may have killed. Holy fuck, I may have killed him. Get the police here because he may need medical assistance." Right. She's still thinking about the dude. Right. Do you want me to read you the 911 call? Sure. Okay. Go for it. So, we have an intruder in the house next door. This is this is a neighbor. We have an intruder in the house next door. The intruder was in the bedroom with a hammer. The woman who lives there thinks she may have strangled him. He was down when she left. Can you put her on the phone? She's bleeding. Does she need an ambulance? No. She's a nurse. She says, call an ambulance for the guy. He may be dead. <laughs> <laughs> She's so fucking great. Right. Dispatcher. Why? What did she use on him? She strangled him. What else did she do? The neighbor. She put a chokehold on him. Okay, I've got help on the way. Stay in the line. She has a hammer here. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Just leave it there. She hit him in the head several times. That's the hammer he had with him. She struck him and she strangled him and she thinks he's dead. <laughs> Dispatcher. Was he by himself? Neighbor. Did he have anybody with him? No. She expressed concern it may have been her ex-partner who sent a person. Okay, so this is the neighbor says she expressed a concern that it may have been her ex-partner. So she's already got it, got yeah. an idea that it might be. Have there been problems with the ex-husband or her ex-partner? She did talk to Mike, her ex-partner, and asked him if, to house it for the cats. And he said he couldn't do it. He was on his way to the beach. He left her a note. He knows the alarm. Dispatcher. Okay, that's good information to pass on to the officers. Okay. That, I don't think that was, to be honest, I don't think that was the end of the call, but that's the end of what I had access to. Right. So, but that's still pretty intense. Yeah. So Susan was then... The police came, ambulance came, and Susan in an interview says that she was sitting there on the step with her neighbor when the police came. They went over into her house, and they came over and and spoke with her, and she said, is he dead? And they said, yes, he's dead. And she absolutely was heartbroken because she did not want to kill anyone. Right. Her life was in danger, and she had to make a choice. Yeah. And- one of the, this is one of the most interesting and beautiful quotes that I've ever heard from anyone, any victim, any whatever. She says, the worst of this is not that someone tried to kill me, but that I had to kill someone else to survive. But I have no shame because I did not choose his death for him. I chose my life. Mm-hmm. And you just go, I fucking love you. Yeah. Chick has a great headspace. She's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, there's nothing she that comes out of her mouth is, you can tell her brain works 100%. Because mm-hmm. there's, I've never seen a person so well-spoken about a fucking event where she, where, she knows everything that happened. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. You don't remember every fucking thing that happened no. the way she remembers it. Right. Anyway, so she was brought to the hospital where she worked, to the ER where she worked. And the paramedics were imp- so impressed with their stamina, they told the on the on duty nurse she beat his ass. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, despite the fact, like, of course it broke her heart to kill this guy, right? But also at the same time, she beat his ass, and there's something really fucking awesome about that. I just think it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the truth is, is that this woman is she she fought for her life, man. And she beat his ass because she was fighting for her for herself. She yep. didn't. Another thing, it's not funny, but it's great. Yeah. And I, when we when we're giggling and laughing is, and stuff, this is amazing. This is what what you wish you got to hear about in every true crime story. Exactly. If this happened in every story, we wouldn't. This would be amazing. Yeah. 
I w- this is why I said at the end of this, we're, I, that's why I'm so happy today and not like normally when we break right before we do this, I'm drained and a- agitated, but today I'm happy because I got to, I get to tell a story about somebody who saved themselves mm-hmm. and the person who died. That's why I was like, it's not really, it's, it's not murder, but it is. I mean, she did kill someone, right. but it's not murder. Right. She, she self-defended. It was a justifiable homicide. 100%. Mm-hmm. So we can't, I mean, I feel bad for his family, but even his family has told her that they're they're not mad at her because she was fighting for her life. What right. can they say? Yeah. You know, oh, why did you kill the guy who was trying to kill you? Like, no, that's silly. But anyway, back at her house, they found the ID of the attacker. It's clearly at Haffey. I don't think I need to tell anybody else that. Right. Um, but it wasn't until the following day that they connected him to Mike. Mm. So because he was an employee for Mike, but he wasn't like a, again, we're not, Mike wasn't bringing people around. Right. It's not like Sue knew this guy. Right. She, so she had no clue. Yeah. I mean, she had a, she had an inkling that it was Mike who was in, who was behind it. Well, yeah. I mean, holy crap. She had the wherewithal to be like, the guy was in my house. The alarm was on. Only other, one other person knows the alarm code. It had to have been he had to have been involved somehow. Exactly. And this is after having, you know, fought for her life and ran to the neighbor's house and she's already formulating what's going on. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Exactly. In, insane in a good way. That's insane in an that's, excellent way. That's a that's a smart lady. She's fucking great, man. Yeah. So Susan and her friend Helen, who is lovely, had gone to the house um to pick up some necessities for Sue. I don't I don't know if the house was not released to her yet or if it had been or whatever, but they went to the house. Well, to be honest, would you want to go back into the house where somebody tried to kill no. you and you ended up killing somebody? No, not at all. Um, so they decided to kind of look around the house or Helen was looking around the house while she was getting her stuff. But they also checked the phone messages and there was messages from Mike. And this, and this is Sue. Sue says that this is when she knew for sure that he was involved because he um, he's very he's very anxious and angry and kind of paranoid and not very calm person mm-hmm. and his messages were uncharacteristic of not only him but of a man whose wife had just been almost killed so he was calling to let her to ask if she was okay mm-hmm. but he was like hey babe are you okay I, just, I heard that something may have happened at the house just want to make sure everything's going all right and it's just like normally he'd be like where are you what's going on you know mm-hmm. like that kind of thing but he was like totally calm and totally not at all well yeah obviously because he he wasn't anxious and paranoid or anything because she wasn't going to the movies <laughs> so the police that had been there the day before because they had searched her whole house mm-hmm. i mean obviously it's a crime scene and right. so they they scoured it they had gone into the basement but because it was pretty cluttered with all this baseball shit um they couldn't really make any determinations about what should and shouldn't be there. Right. So, but Helen noticed a backpack that didn't really look familiar. Helen is Susan, Susan's best friend. Right. So we're some, this is somebody who's been around. This is somebody who knows Mike, knows the house. Probably there enough that she could tell if something was out of place. Exactly. To a point. To a point. So she grabs this backpack and opens it thinking maybe the police missed something, and she was right. So among the things inside, she found a day book and a pay stub made out to Haffy. And a tennis racket. <laughs> that would have been great if there had been a tennis racket. Right. Um, she immediately... Oh, you know, I'm just going to go and uh, murder a lady, and then I got I got uh, racket time or court time down at the, uh, at the YMCA. Well, you know, I'm the tennis pro at the, the local place. So... <laughs> Helen, being a not dumb person, either, immediately dropped the items back into the bag and they called the police. She said, this must be evidence. This is the guy who attacked her. They need to see this. So the police get a hold of the daybook. I touched all this stuff. Please don't arrest me for murder. Yeah, basically. So in the daybook, they found, for Monday, September 4th, 2006, so two days before the event, they found an entry that stated, call Mike. And then tucked in on that page was a manila envelope with Mike's new cell phone number. So Mike had changed, recently changed his cell phone number, and this guy had his new cell phone number. So we know that they were talking. They were speaking to each other. So Mike, busy at the beach, and making totally calm and life's relaxed, a beach phone calls, um, returned to Portland apparently the night of the attack. Um, the next day, uh, he bought a gun. It was a Taurus 357 revolver. Okay. 
for those of you who are interested. Um, and when the police found out he bought a gun, they became concerned that he was going to come and finish the job. So I, I'm pretty sure they put some extra dudes on Susan because, right. well, they don't want her to die. Right. They like Susan. They, she probably made them laugh the moment they met her. Mm-hmm. Maybe they all knew her because of the ER, too. You never Could know. be. Um, then September 8th, the next day, he Mike left a suicide note at his father's house. It said, all I ever wanted was to be loved, and every time I had it, I fucked it up. Yes, because you're an idiot. And you also tried to kill your wife, so fuck you. Right. So, and then he ran. I don't have any information on where he ran or whatever, but they found him in a parking garage at a hospital five days later where he said that he was checking himself in to a psychiatric facility. Whether that was true or not, the police checked him in involuntarily and then later that day arrested him for conspiracy to commit murder. Mike, despite his weird actions and his all I ever wanted was to be loved and every time I fucked it up, denied any involvement in the murder or in the attempted murder. Mm -hmm. Um, He knew the assailant, but this is, he had a bunch of evidence stacked against him. Mm -hmm. So he knew the assailant. And despite his insistence that just because he knew him, he didn't didn't mean he was guilty. Right. I mean, uh, how'd the guy get the code, dude? Right. Uh, there were no signs of force entry into Susan's house, which is what basically what I just talked said about that. The security records show that someone had disabled the alarm while Susan was at work. The only two people who knew the alarm code were her and Mike. Mike claimed he did it while dropping off the note, but as you may remember, the note that he she found was, was in, in the, the mudroom, mud and she didn't have to to do anything with the alarm in the mudroom. Right. So he didn't need to turn off the alarm to drop off the note. So it makes only sense that he would have disarmed the, the system so that Mike or that Ed could go in or Haffy could go in and wait there until she got home. Because despite the fact that he could have just given him the code, he didn't. Right. That's the funniest thing about this <laughs> is that this guy was so paranoid and so anxious and such an asshole that he still didn't want to give... The murderer of his wife, the, the hitman that he hired to kill his wife. The code to the house. The code to the house. Because, well, once she's dead, it'll be my house and I'm not going to change the code. Right. <laughs> you know, like, I just. It's so much hassle. You got to go in and punch a button, bunch of buttons and uh, it'll take me like five whole minutes to change the code and I just don't want to. Right. It's this guy, these people, this dude, fuck him. So, Susan, so this is now. A former cellmate of Haffy's. Okay, so I'm going to skip this one that I have here and then go to the next one. So a former cellmate of Haffy's had been contacted by Haffy to ask if he wanted to do a burglary for insurance. They met at some place and Mike was there and Mike asked him if he would be part of this plot to kill his wife. The guy was like, no, (laughs) obviously not. I don't want to be involved in murdering anyone's wife. Right. Thank you very much. Burglary, yes. Murder, no. No, thank you. So he was told he could make $5,000, this guy. Mm-hmm. Half he was promised $50,000 with half paid up front and half paid after. There is evidence that he was paid half beforehand. He had, many of his friends and debtors had said that in the weeks before the attack, he had started to pay off his debts, which, I mean, maybe the... Very seldom. Do you, th- there are times when people don't get any money for killing someone ever. Right. But they me- were meant to do it for money. So at the very least, Mike pays his debts? <laughs> I don't really know. Anyway, so the thing about this case is what's very weird is that there is a financial element to it. However, it's not the same kind of financial element that you would normally see. So it, there, there was no insurance involved in this because Susan... Being that she was divorcing Mike, had switched her beneficiary of her life insurance to her mother and her brother, that, and Mike knew this. Right. So Mike was aware that he wasn't going to get any insurance money. However, the house was paid off. The house and the cars were paid off. The house is worth about $300,000, and the cars, I mean, cars are, what are, 20000 or whatever? Right. 15, 12 years ago, $20,000 probably. Yeah, yeah. And so he would take control of the house after Susan's death, and I imagine he either plan to live there or sell it either way it wouldn't matter right um but he would also possess it where he didn't possess it right now mm-hmm. so it's less about finance i think and more about possession right mike seems like a very possessive person he's obsessed with sports memorabilia he doesn't care that 
care for her going to the movies. He doesn't want her to really hang out with her friends. Like, this is a person who is con- very controlling on a level that is obviously concerning because he tried to have her killed. Right. But it's – he – I think he killed her to control her. Or he – I'm sorry. He didn't kill her. I think he had – he attempted to kill her to control her. Right. It had nothing like he had to... lost control of her, and so in order to gain that control back in his head, he decided he needed to kill her exactly. in order to get, get that control back. Exactly. Okay. I, I don't know. Obviously, I'm not a psychiatrist. Right. I don't know these things, but it seems very classically like he was losing control and he needed to get that control back. And it, especially because when she decided to divorce him, she told him because she's not, because she's a very open person. Mm-hmm. And so she said, hey, I'm going to file for divorce. He said, oh, no, please don't do that. And she was like, too bad, man. It's going to happen. I'm doing it. And he was like, oh, well, this is not cool. Unacceptable. So, Well, anyway, after seeing the evidence against him, I mean, to be honest, I think there must have been more because all the stuff here just feels kind of circumstantial. circumstantial Let's get a pen and murder on a guy for having his phone number in a guy's date book. I mean, yes, it's likely that he hired the guy to kill his wife because of that. But also, if that's all you've got. Right. I'm sure they got more than that. I mean, I'm sure they did. Yeah. Um, Susan, or anyway, after seeing the evidence against him, he pled guilty to soliciting her murder. He was he was only sentenced to 10 years. So if I'm not real crazy about this Oregon, Oregon law where you only get 10 years for trying to kill somebody. <laughs> that really has been driving well, it's me not, crazy. For, it's not attempted murder. It's conspiracy. So Conspiracy should hold more weight. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, but so he was scheduled, but he was he was supposed to go into jail for 10 years, but he was scheduled to be released after only seven in September of 2014. And there are all these articles about Susan being very nervous about him getting out because imagine, yeah. she 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 had moved into a new house, obviously, mm-hmm. um, who's going back into that house. Right. Um, she had put gravel her whole front of her house was gravel. Nice. So she could hear somebody coming. Yep. She was just very, very careful and very worried. And she was ready to basically be afraid for the rest of her life. And I don't want to say fortunately, because anytime anyone dies, it's not great. But fortunately, Mike died of cancer 92 days before he was supposed to be released. Wow. Now, again, I don't want anyone to die of cancer, but fuck Mike. He's an asshole. He would have come back after her, I think. Yeah. He was not one to get over shit. He just stewed in jail for like almost 10 years. Yeah. And probably just built up a silent rage, which is like, oh, when I get out of here. Mm-hmm. She's the cause of all my problems uh-huh. because. I wouldn't be in jail right now if it wasn't for yeah, her. Even though it was a decision it's I all made. all her fault. Um, Susan, on the other hand, well, since 2014, has been less afraid of the world, I would assume. I would say so, yeah. Um, she continued to work as a nurse until December of 2014, uh, she, when she was about, I would say, 60, 60-ish. Thereabouts, yeah. Uh, she has lived with the guilt of killing ha- killing Haffy since that day, um, but does not regret it, uh, obviously, from the Good, quote she before. shouldn't. She now encourages others to not be afraid to fight if they're in any situation, if they need to. She doesn't say fight immediately. She says, right. if you can't run or if you can't hide or run, fight. fight. Yeah. Um, and she continues to have a positive attitude about life. And in fact, she said that she celebrates each year on the anniversary of the attack that she was brave enough to fight. Nice. Um, and she's got a few quotes that she said over the years that um, to multiple organizations um, – if you can't run and hide and you can't hide, you have to fight. You don't know that you won't survive. Right. Um, I know a certainty that it's a terrible thing to take another person's life. I don't know that you ever get over having killed killed another human being. I've always said I don't take any pride in what I did, but I also feel no shame. And then the last one, she because there's a show called I Survived. And so at the end, they ask them why they survived. And this is what she said. This is like everybody else says, because of my belief in God and because I love my family and because... Uh, blah 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 but this this is classic susan her answer is this i survived because i had training in how to avoid injury and violent situations and when you combine with that the fear of knowing that someone is trying to kill you and the power of adrenaline that is your gift in these instances i had all the tools that i needed to survive nice fucking susan man yep she's the coolest lady on the planet no doubt so that's Susan Kuhnhausen slash Collins slash now she goes by Susan Walters. 
Okay. So, and she hasn't been remarried, so. That sucks. Well, I'm sure she's a little not sold on the well, idea. Well, yeah. Okay. So anyway, that's Susan. That's awesome. Heck yeah. Yeah. Much more positive than any of the other ones we've done. Yeah. So. I dig it. Yeah. So thank you everyone for listening this week, this month. I'm sorry we missed last month. Christmas can be very hectic and we didn't really have any time. And if you want to support us, you can always go to anchor.fm slash into the basement and add a little support. If not, that's fine too. If you just like listening to us, we like it when you listen. So. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we're at Into the Basement on Twitter, or we're at Into the Basement Podcast on Instagram. Yay, Instagram. <laughs> we, uh, if you'd like to email us um, any suggestions or comments or whatever, uh, you can reach us at thebasementhosts at gmail.com. Yep. And, of course, as always, please rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to us on. Um we always love to see reviews. We always love to see ratings. Um, the more ratings, the better. Of course, Apple Podcasts is the one, the big one. So if you would like to go there and sign in and do all that stuff, I know it sucks, but maybe you'd like to do that for us and give us five stars or give us whatever many stars you think we deserve. But we prefer five stars. We do prefer five stars. Um, and thank you so much for listening to The Basement. Bye. Bye.